I'm so excited to talk to you about Elijah because Elijah is one of my heroes. Right from when I first became a Christian, Elijah was one of my greatest heroes. And I preached on him every four or five years. It was the first sermon I ever wrote was on these very passages that Jane uh, read. And they've lived with me uh, throughout my Christian life, nearly two decades so far. Um, and these two prayers that I'm going to talk about today um, we're going to take the perspective of these two prayers that he prays. So this uh, this theme, uh, sermon theme is called uh, or series is called Great Prayers of the Bible. And I immediately went to these because they live with me. The first prayer, Elijah says, in the middle of an enormously uh, powerful moment, this contest uh, with surrounded by thousands of people where he calls upon the Lord and he goes, Lord God of Abraham, Isaac and Israel, let it be known today that you are God and I am your servant. It's an awesome prayer, a strength of power. It's so bold. It's almost, I used to think, arrogant. Let it be known I am your servant, Lord. And then there's this other prayer where he basically just says, I've had enough, Lord. Take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors. What a contrast. What a fascinating figure we have here. And the truth is, at different times in my life, both of these prayers have spoken to my heart and encouraged me. And I pray this morning God would speak through one or both of these prayers to you this morning. So we're going to look first at prayer number one. Now, I don't know about you, but I've had lots of conversations uh, over the last three or four months which have involved the sentence, how are you doing? How are you coping? And it's right we ask one another this because we are in strange times still. You know, this, this phrase new normal as if everything's changed. It's all still peculiar and odd and we need to look after ourselves in this time. And so we ask one another. But what we are also doing, as well as wanting to know how they're doing, if we're honest, we also are checking that they're feeling something the same as what we're feeling. When they turn around and say, do you know what? Some days are OK, but some days it's just really tough. We kind of go, phew, it's not just me then. Yeah. But then there are some folks in this world. Maybe, you know, some maybe you don't, but you've kind of seen them on uh, on the TV or from a distance who seem to always be sorted. They seem to have a certain swagger about them. They seem to be so confident. They seem as if there's no lockdown at all. Nothing phases them. They're superhuman, almost untouched by the worries of mere mortals like you and I, or at least that's what it seems like on the outside. And if anyone looked like this kind of a superhuman from the outside, it was Elijah. If anyone was superhuman, confident, daring, intimidating, it was him, this giant of a prophet. He was alive, if you're wondering, about 900 years before Jesus in the land of Israel. It's being uh, ruled by a wicked king called Ahab uh, and his wife Jezebel. And Elijah just bursts onto the pages of the Bible with no explanation in 1 Kings 17. So if you don't know the stories of Elijah, can I commend them to you? You'll find them in 1 Kings in the Old Testament at chapter 17 and just get reading and just read about this extraordinary prophet. But the first we hear of him is literally now Elijah the Tishbite. No explanation about who he is. Who is this guy? We have no idea. But what does his name mean? Elijah, it means the Lord is my God. And the first words he utters are there will be no more rain now except by my word. And boom, there's a drought. 
What an entrance. Here was a man standing single handedly up to the most powerful and wicked man, the king, in the name of God. And he goes on to live up to this awesome reputation, this awesome entrance. He basically performs miracles. He is fed miraculously by God. Uh, He raises a child from the dead and he becomes so famous or infamous and feared throughout the lands uh, that he is known everywhere. Yet no one can find him. No one can track him down, no matter how hard they hunt for him. He goes from victory to victory, it seems, this Elijah the awesome. And no more so than this amazing victory that Jane was reading about on Mount Carmel. Basically, after three years of drought, Elijah turns back up and he says, right, you've been trusting in this God you call Baal. I say you should be trusting in the Lord, the one true God. Let's have a duel. It's extraordinary if you think about it. He says to the king, you get your prophets of your God and we'll go up onto Mount Carmel. We'll set up two uh, altars and The God who answers our prayers by sending down fire, he is the one true God. Call all the people in the land. So all the people in the land gather and having watched the prophets of Baal dance around and totally humiliate themselves and no fire comes. It is then that Elijah soaks his own altar, God's altar, with loads and loads of water to make it even harder. And he boldly steps up and he prays. Lord God of Abraham, Isaac and Israel, let it be known this day that thou art God and I am thy servant. Answer me, O Lord, answer me so that these people will know that you are God and that you're turning their hearts back to you again. Wow. What an awesome prayer. If you've ever listened to Mendelssohn's Elijah, if you're into oratorios, it's an amazing prayer in that. Lord God of Abraham. It's this extraordinary, confident, massive prayer. And in response to it, before all these people, God sends a fire down so massive and so hot that it incinerates the sacrifice, the wood, the stones, the soil, the water. And as Elijah stands there, thousands of people fall to their faces and honour God. What daring, what courage, what confidence. And if I'm honest, as a young Christian, I looked at it and I thought, gosh, even a little bit arrogant, I'll be honest. I mean, you and I can't swagger around saying prayers like that, can we? Let it let it be known this day that thou art God and I am thy servant. Can you imagine praying that at a prayer meeting? Lord let it be known that I am your servant and that you are God. Can you imagine praying that and just entering into a supermarket and declaring out loud to everyone? It would be a little bit much, wouldn't it? It seemed to me that this prayer was all about him being this awesome servant of God, this man of God, this powerful person. But is it really a prayer of arrogance? Well, let's have a look at it briefly for a moment. And as we do, we find that it's actually a prayer that has a heartfelt focus on God and others, not on himself at all. And there are some amazing things that you and I can learn from this great prayer. And the first thing we can learn and notice is that Elijah remembers at the beginning of his prayers. Elijah stands there surrounded by the crowds. He knows that if this goes wrong, he's in real trouble. They'll probably lynch him. He needs God to show up. This isn't It'd be nice if God responded with with fire. This is 
He needs to respond with fire right now. Every eye is on him. It's one of those moments you think, shall I just cut and run? I'm not sure I should even be here. But instead of cutting and running, Elijah, the first thing he does is he remembers not who he is, but who God is. He calls him the God of Abraham, Isaac and Israel. And in calling him this, surrounded by people who had forgotten how God had loved and protected and aided their ancestors over and over again throughout the years, Elijah is choosing to remember you are the God who's done it in the past. So do it again, Lord. You are the God who has shown your power to my ancestors. Show your power again, Lord. You are the God who has brought them through many trials and fires before. Bring us through now, Lord. They trusted in you and you haven't changed. So I will trust in you also. Elijah is remembering that he's just a small part in a long line of faithful people. Well, not always faithful, but of ordinary people who have found an amazing, faithful, powerful and loving God to be their friend and their provider. There's something very powerful when we remember as we come to pray that it's not just about you and me and our personal relationship with Jesus. It is about that, but it's not just about that. We don't pray in a vacuum cut off from history. No, you and I pray in a long line of believers over thousands of years who have met with God and trusted him and seen him come through. I wonder if you have any believers who inspire you, maybe those who you've lost, uh, older folks, maybe a parent or a grandparent or somebody you look up to even now. It's lovely when you come to pray sometimes just to remember this is the God of my grandpa and my grandma or whoever it is for you. You're not alone in this journey. And as we come to pray, to remember who God is and his faithfulness is an amazing thing to do. Well, secondly, after remembering, he expects. Elijah expects that God's going to show up. And not because he thinks he himself is some big deal and God owes him one. Not at all. But because he knows that God wants to show himself to the world. God is the God who loves to speak and loves to show himself to humanity, to people ready to hear from him. And ready to receive him. He loves to reveal his power and his love. That's what he does. And so Elijah prays, let it be known today that you are God in Israel. We heard last week from Nigel that William Carey founded the first ever organized missionary society, the BMS, in the world. But what made this small, ordinary bloke, this shoemaker from Northampton, think that he could do such a thing? Well, he just simply realized that God wants to show himself to the world. He cares about the hearts of others and he wants to reveal himself. And so Kerry took him at his word rather than just saying, oh, no, I'm too small and insignificant to ask God to do anything through my life. He lived with the same principle Elijah lived with. Expect great things from God and attempt great things for God, as we heard last week. Had he stayed at home thinking God's not going to show up if I go out on mission, untold numbers around the world would never have heard the good news of Jesus. Now, sure, that may seem like a pretty extreme example. God may not do something as extreme as that in your life and mine. But I want you to realise that expecting God to speak through you and to show up when you ask and pray is not arrogant at all. It's faith. It's all about him, not you 
When you go to work or speak to your friends, don't be shy and think, oh, well, God probably wouldn't want to do anything here. Expect that he does. He loves them so much and he loves you, too. God will want to show up and speak through you because that's what he does. So be expectant. So he's remembered who God is. He expects he's going to show up. And now he humbles himself. You see, Elijah already had an enormous renown. This guy was known, well known. The king meets him and he goes, it's you, troubler of Israel. You know, he'd got a name for himself. He was feared. He was mighty. He'd stopped the rain. But all he wanted to be known as was a servant of God, a follower of God. Let it be known that I'm your servant, Lord, that this is not about me. And because of this, let the hearts of others be changed and be drawn towards you, God. None of this was for his own reputation, but he wanted everything to bring back glory to God. It's actually a prayer of great humility. You see, some people seem to love the limelight, don't they? They love to do great things and then be praised for it. And we Brits, we're not sure about this. We're like, hang on a minute. That doesn't fit well with me. That doesn't sit right. We find it an ugly trait. And because of this, we can sometimes think that being humble is to do the opposite, is not to attempt great things, but to keep our head down and just not to do anything much, just to be quiet. I used to struggle with the thought of becoming a preacher or a church leader. I used to think, what makes me able to do that? Or who do I think I am? What right do I have? Well, the truth is I have no more than anyone else. But I simply had to learn, as many others have, that humility is not just hiding or standing low, but following and acting and stepping out when God calls, but all the while pointing as best as you can upwards to a God far, far greater and more awesome, more wonderful than you or me. If every doctor said, I want to be humble and so I won't practice medicine, where would we be? If every scientist right now said, I want to be humble, so I better not be the one who finds the vaccine for coronavirus, where would we be? And if every Christian said, I I just want to be humble, so I better not be the one who speaks out about Jesus or who starts this business with Christian values or who runs for parliament to shape politics or who goes on that mission or who leads that group or who prays out loud, where would we be? So strive to follow Jesus with all of your gifts and all of your strength and all of the talent and blessing that he's put in you, because you do have it. All of us do made in his image, filled with his love and blessing, filled with gifts and talent. Use them to the best of your ability, but use them to point to God and to help others as well come to know him. Whatever it may be, if you're called to lead, then lead well. If you're called to teach, then teach well, to manage, then manage well. If you're called to mission, then go on mission, whatever it may be. Do it all to the best of your ability. But in it, most of all, seek to be known as God's servant. As a church, we should be bold like Elijah. But it should all be about Jesus. We should step out and dare to do or attempt great things for God, expecting he's going to show up. But not for our renown, for his and for the hearts of others. So I invite you to pray this prayer. This is not an arrogant prayer. It's a prayer of faith and confidence. It's a prayer of courage. So learn to pray in your own lives. Lord God, today as I go into work, make yourself known, Lord, and let it be known that I'm simply a follower of you. I'm your servant. I wonder, have you ever prayed that prayer? 
It's an amazing prayer. Pray it and then remember, expect, humble yourself and then act and let God send his fire. Okay, so that's prayer number one. Let's quickly whip to prayer number two. And as I said, Elijah really is one of my heroes. But I realized a few years ago, it's not because he's amazing. It's because God's amazing. God's really the hero in these stories because Elijah never wanted it to be all about him. He never wanted to take the center. And we see why, because when it becomes all about him and he takes the center, he very quickly falters. This extraordinary, confident prophet absolutely falls apart. And this second prayer may at first seem quite humble, but actually, unlike the first prayer, it's hugely self-focused. I've had enough, Lord, he says. Take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. And then he lay down under the bush and fell asleep. It's not a prayer of humility. It's a prayer of brokenness caused by turning inwards. Bless him. Dear Elijah, he's just won this enormous victory through God's amazing power. All the people have turned back to him. The rain have turned back to God. The rain has now come. The drought is over. God responded with fire. All the people are amazed. Elijah has done it. But now the king's wife hears what he's done and sends him a death threat. I'm going to kill you for that, Elijah. And instead of going, well, I'm Elijah the Tishbite. Who do you think you are? I am the follower of the Lord. He will protect me. Elijah just breaks down and everything falls apart. Elijah the Tishbite, Elijah the awesome, Elijah the strong, Elijah the superhuman. <laughs> now he just gets properly scared and he runs for his life. And so we find him sat under a tree wanting to give up and throw the lot in. And which one of us hasn't been there ourselves at some point in our lives? Perhaps you feel like you're there today, kind of sat under the tree, ready to give it all up and saying, I can't do this anymore. So what's happened to my so-called hero? Well, if before he remembered and he expected and he humbled himself, this time we see that he flees, he forgets and he falters. First, he flees up till now. He's always done something at God's command. God's spoken and he's followed, but not this time. This time he doesn't pray, he doesn't stop, he doesn't think, he just runs. And to make matters worse, he drops his friend, his servant behind. He says, no, I'm going to go solo. And he runs to the desert and barren place on his own. And so often when the hardest times come, it's then when we need our friends and we need our family and we need our church most, right? And yet so many of us will dump them or blame them or cut ourselves off. Instead of looking outwards and upwards, we only look downwards and inwards. Secondly, he forgets. Whereas before he remembered that God was the God of his ancestors, faithful through the generation. This time he speaks as if everything hangs on him and him alone. I have had enough, Lord. Take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. Before his ancestors were a reminder of God's faithfulness and great inspiration to him. Now they're just a pressure he can't live up to or an inheritance of failures. I'm rubbish. They're rubbish. I can't cope. He's unable to hold together his strength anymore. He's unable to carry his faith and do the mighty things of God that he thinks he should be doing on his own anymore. But he's forgotten 
that he never could do those things on his own in the first place. It was never supposed to be about him carrying the weight of expectation on his own shoulders, trying to carry the weight of his own faith on his own back. Nobody can bear that weight, not even Elijah, but oh, how we try sometimes, right? We can try and put it all on ourselves, live up to this perfect expectation of who we should be as Christians, and our faith becomes a burden rather than a joy, and our salvation becomes a weight around our necks rather than a gift that sets us free. So he's fled, he's forgotten, and now, thirdly, he falters. You see, when our faith becomes all about us and our strength and performance, then all of us falter. We were taught something very wise at college by our principal. I've told you this before. But one of the things I remember most from Baptist college training, three years of it, is this simple phrase. Matt, it's not about you. And you think, what? That's a bit harsh or rude. But I know exactly what the principal meant. It's not about you, Matt. You might be going into ministry, but it's not about you. It's about Jesus. It's about his church. The minute you make it all about you, you'll falter. Make it all about him. And it's the same for all of us. So here sits Elijah. He's fled. He's forgotten. He's faltered. So what's God going to do with this man? This man he's given so much to already. This man he has equipped and called and protected and nurtured for his whole life. But now he's forgotten it all and just feels bust under a tree. Well, this mighty God of judgment and wrath and power and untouchable holiness, what does he do? He shows him such tender mercy and beautiful grace. He loves Elijah. The first thing the God of all heaven does is stoop low, send one of his angels to gently and tenderly provide for this wounded soul. The angel comes and touches Elijah on on the shoulder. I love this. Wakes him up gently and tells him to eat some bread and some water that the angel has cooked and prepared freshly for him. And Elijah does this and he just falls back asleep. The angel wakes him up a second time. This time he lets Elijah know, do you know what, Elijah, right now the journey is too much for you. It's too great. God knows how we're feeling in those times, friends, when we feel like just giving up. Oh, how he knows when we actually just need rest and encouragement. I want you to imagine yourself lying there, shattered, exhausted, under a tree. You've got it all wrong and you're scared and you're tired. You want to give up. And there as you wake up, it's just a Calagas bottle with some bubbling stew on it. Lovely, fresh baked bread, fresh glass of water, an angel just looking after you. It's extraordinary. It's God's hospitality. It's a picture of God's love for us and provision for us. It's God's home cooking, if you like. God didn't make Elijah or any of us in our church or in this world superhumans. He simply made us humans and that's how he loves us. He knows that sometimes we falter. Sometimes we get it wrong. Sometimes we just need rest and food and sleep. Our mental and spiritual and physical well-being, they're all linked and God knows. God knows when things have overwhelmed us and he loves us so tenderly. He knows when the concept and vastness of the journey ahead or the struggle we're going through in lockdown, it's felt too lonely. We don't know if we can do it. Work feels too difficult, whatever it might be. He knows. And at that point, he is so compassionate and gentle and full of grace. 
Here in this moment, we can hear Jesus' words speaking to us. Come to me, come. Come to me, said Jesus, all you who are weary and burdened. And what? I will give you rest. I will give you rest. So come, weary soul, back to Jesus today. If you are feeling weary and burdened, come and let him touch your heart again and provide for you. And if you've never come to Jesus before, if you're carrying the weight of the world on your shoulders, you're carrying the weight of expectation, your sin, your brokenness, your mess, your disappointments. And can I invite you this morning, come to Jesus, just in your heart, say to him, Jesus, it's time. I love you. I trust you. I commit to you now. Come and be with me. And it says he stands on the door and knocks. And if you open the door, he will come in and he will make his home with you. He will eat with you. He will refresh you, provide for you and give you rest. You can do that this morning. So, and I better be quick now as we turn to communion shortly. There are two more things that God does to this dear broken prophet at this point strengthened by the food Elijah gets up and he flees to the only place he can think of the mountain of God it's the same mountain where Moses met with God face to face the mountain of relationship if you like it's where he turns and when he's there he just finds a cave and he hides scared lonely exhausted and broken and now having provided for him God decides to remind Elijah of some deep truths he'd forgotten And he starts by gently asking him, I think, one of the most deeply profound questions. Maybe you need God to ask you it this morning. What are you doing here, Elijah? What is it that's happened that's led you to this place? Elijah's answer tells us everything, really. Elijah turns around and he almost garbles it out. I've been really zealous and and, and the Israelites have rejected everything. They've torn everything down and they put your prophets to death with a sword. And I'm the only one left. And now they're trying to kill me, too. Ah, so that's what it is. I did all this. I've tried so hard. Now they won't listen to me and I'm on my own and they're trying to kill me too. Things have become, as we said earlier, all about him. He'd been focused on his own efforts, his own fear. He'd forgotten just who it was who had called him, who loves him, who made him, who provided for him, who would not fail him. And so God gives him a little reminder of the one he calls his God. Yes, this threat's scary, Elijah. Yes, this time you're going through is difficult. But have you forgotten who I am? As Elijah cowers in the cave, God sends this almighty wind that smashes the boulders all around. And after that, he sends an almighty earthquake that shakes the very foundations of the earth. And after that, he sends a fire that is so hot and so searing as it licks around the entrance of the cave. But this wasn't all that Elijah needed to be reminded of. Not just the power of God, because after that, came a little gentle whisper. And this is what drew Elijah out of his cave. He needed to be reminded that God was the God of enormous power, but also the God who loved him so tenderly, who wanted a personal relationship and friendship with him, the God who cared so deeply, the God who wanted to just pour upon him his grace, who wanted to take the strain and the weight from him. Let me carry the weight. So you don't have to, Elijah. What are you doing here? And having reminded him, having provided for him, God now sends him on his way. 
He lifts Elijah's eyes back up from the floor and inward, back outwise, outwards to others and upwards to himself. He sends him on his way. He says, I've got all that you need. I'm with you every step of the way. Now go and anoint a new king. Go and anoint a new prophet. And so Elijah went. When things felt too much for Elijah, his prayer was simply, I've had enough. God provided, God reminded and God sent. And, you know, I wonder this morning if you're sat under your own broom tree or in a cave, not sure how you're coping and hear the Lord ask you this morning. Hey, not judgmentally, but kindly. What are you doing here? How did you get here? Have you forgotten who I am? Let me provide for you. Come, there is work for you to do. Don't run. Don't flee. Don't forget. Don't falter. Let God provide for you and remind you of who he is. And as we turn to communion now, that's exactly what we're going to do. For just as God provided food and drink for Elijah that strengthened him. So here is bread and wine to strengthen your heart this morning and your faith, your trust in Jesus. In Jesus, we have so much more than just our physical hunger met. We have bread and wine for our dry and broken souls. And where Elijah fled to the mountain of God to be reminded of his power and love, turn again this morning to the Mount of Crucifixion, that place where Jesus showed the extent of his love for you when he went to that cross, took on all that weight, all that burden you carry, the sin, the shame. He took it all and he dealt with it. And he showed you his great power. Nothing can stop him, not even death. He conquered death and sin. He conquered darkness. He conquered the work of the enemy. He rose again in victory. So as you turn your gaze towards the cross this morning, let God's grace and mercy, his love, his power and the presence of Jesus with us rekindle and feed the fire in your soul once more so that he may send you and me out to expect him to use you because he will to put his favour on you and to bring glory to his name.